Hello, and welcome to the Purple Squad Security Podcast. This is episode 21 for February 25th, 2018. I'm your host, John Svazik. Just a reminder, all opinions expressed on the podcast are mine alone and do not reflect those of my employer. Purple teams. Uh, purple teams are great. I love the idea of purple teams. I love the work that they do, the skills that they can learn and help sharpen. But I want to make something very, very clear. The idea of a purple teamer is a myth. That's right. There's no such thing as a purple teamer. Now, this may seem like a controversial stance, but it's something I actually firmly believe in. And I'll be the first person to admit that I didn't always have this opinion. But when we take a look at it, it's actually quite a logical conclusion. So before we get too in-depth with this idea, and you guys turn off the show because I did call the podcast the Purple Squad Security Podcast, uh, I want to introduce my special guest for today's episode, uh, Hayden Johnson, also known as uh, Dr. Purple. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome, Hayden. (laughs) Thank you very much. It's really great to be invited on here or on the phone, whatever you want to call it. A nickname Dr. Purple kind of stuck after Kimbrew on Twitter tweeted me as Dr. Purple relating to the Alien Vault article I wrote on Purple Teaming. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, I saw that tweet and I I immediately messaged you and I'm like, oh, we have to have you on the show now because it just had to, it had to fit. Yeah, I'm a a pretend Purple Teamer because I didn't even know the Purple Team Security Podcast was a thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's all right. That's what I'm here for. Okay, so uh, before we get too deep into it, uh, tell us a bit about yourself. What's your favorite color, uh, your first model of car, and your mother's maiden name? (laughs) I've got a vendor shirt that's like hackers like to ask questions or small chat, and it has those... uh, privacy questions on it as well it's great uh favorite color is blue or green i sort of change now and again uh, i guess so you actually want a little bit about myself that's not a privacy yeah, yes. question <laughs> yes yes we're not we're not here to socially engineer you oh, or social engineering but uh, so um, that's what OSINT's for <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm not sure how detailed you want i can go back to as a baby but I wasn't a child hacker. I wasn't someone that grew up with a Commodore 64. I played a lot of Xbox, really got addicted to World of Warcraft. So my university course was in arts or interactive media. It didn't work very well. Uh, I spent a couple of years being the young guy trying to figure out what I want to do with my life. I thought I'd want to be a a dog trainer. (laughs) But anyhow, short story is that I ended up going back and doing my master's degree in information technology and specialized in information security, which I really loved. I got the best grades in. I got offered to tutor people, which was really awesome. Uh, Out of university from my master's program, 24, 25, I got a job at Deloitte in their information security team. So I spent the first year in Australia uh, just doing cyber security, a little bit of audits, which really sucked. I (laughs) then moved to Deloitte Canada, did a few years there on IT audit, uh, more pen testing, Wi-Fi testing, and some threat intelligence at a bank. Uh, A couple of years there, I got my OSCP, the pen testing cert. 
So from there, I jumped to another consulting firm, KPMG Canada, for pen testing. Did some more pen testing, uh, some more three intel, and mostly, I guess, vulnerability assessments. So I'm five years in with a bunch of consulting experience. I did the five years. It was great. I'm now at my new organization as a security manager, as the head of security, helping them build out a security program and understand and identify their gaps and reduce those. So the idea here is that I wanted to actually have an impact on an organization. I guess the other other bit that's pretty cool is I've spoken at conferences in Canada and the USA. I blog now and again. I uh, just love sharing knowledge and believe what I learned can help others and things like that. So that's sort of a quick spiel on who I am, where I've come from, and what I do. If that No, that's perfect. No, that's perfect. And it's it's interesting because your background obviously gives you uh, perspectives from both sides, uh, the red yeah. and the blue, which is which is great. I mean, that's that's pretty much people who listen to this podcast. That's what we're trying to sell. Um, and hopefully people are buying. So <laughs> yeah, a few sponsors soon enough. There you go. Uh, so uh, how did you become a purple teamer or known as a person who believes in the purple teamer? <laughs> it, it was actually by accident. So I decided through friends to submit to B-Size Toronto in 2015. And I was sort of studying for the OSCP. I think I got it a month before or something like that. And I was like, it'd be cool to, to do a talk that shows different attacks and some of the traces they leave behind. So attack and defense talk. And I named it Purple View. And I did the talk. I showed some flash exploit from hacking team using Metasploit and then showed some of the the traffic that it it leaves behind with Wireshark, which is pretty cool. And we did some of that. Then from that, the talk got really good great reviews or people loved it and it got tweeted a lot. And then I met Chris Gates on Twitter. He referred to my talk in one of his blogs. Uh, If you don't know Chris Gates, he's one of the original purple teamers, I guess. He's like uh, known as Carnal Ownage and just wicked skilled, like a god to me. But um, I learned to read more and was like, wow, my original purple view talk was really a purple teaming concept. So I just... Because I did that out of interest, I sort of kept following that interest. And then I submitted more talks and I got approached by Tripwire and I wrote some articles on purple teaming. So like red team versus blue team, they are in fact one team. Uh, Then top four tips for purple teaming. And it sort of just grew out of a natural, I guess, interest in using red team to help the blue team and both sides instead of whenever I'm at a conference, there's like two tracks one's mostly or 90% of it is like wicked sick red team and then 10% is some blue team stuff. So I guess that's sort of how I got known for that purple teaming idea, which was already a thing before I had uh, (laughs) done it, but it was just the concept, I guess, of it. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that's great. Uh, We'll make sure to have links to all the articles that you've written um, in the show notes as well. And uh, oh. yeah, so we'll <laughs> definitely humble uh, hashtag humble brag on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is good, right? We 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 don't move forward without uh, taking a look at what others have uh, laid before us, right? So this is this will be good. 
uh, for sure. So I only knew about the one article that you had in Alien Vault. So uh, the other ones, yeah, that would be that would be a great read. If yeah. I can find a link for the, uh, I don't know if the B sides Toronto talk was recorded or not. Um, yes, it was. I can give you links to that as well, and to Chris Gates's articles as well, because he has some like. Here is what he thinks purple teaming is. Here is the benefits and whatnot. So it's pretty yeah. cool as well. Awesome. Yeah, we'll have we'll have links to everything um, in the show notes. Uh, so yeah, those cool. listening, yeah, just go to the website, take a look at the show notes, and you should be able to get the uh, the information that you're looking for there. All right, so let's get right into it. So as we discussed, Hayden, in the past, you've written about how red teamers can get some benefits from purple team activities. Uh, do you think that it's possible for a red team member to do blue team activities simultaneously? That's a good question because the short answer is no, because I'm really bad at multitasking. So imagine trying to do that, but definitely not in a corporate environment. You might get away with it where at home you're trying to be a better pen tester, so you have your own lab, you shoot off some alerts with um, Splunk or an Elk stack and do it like that, but not in a corporate environment. So the actual article I wrote was more focused on the learnings a red teamer can get from purple teaming, aka also known as working with the blue team. It's just because in the most basic example that everyone can understand is is just bypassing antivirus in a corporate environment. So it might be one or two people and one person's like, let's see how we can bypass the antivirus. Do you know how to use Metasploit? Do you know PowerShell Empire? Can you create your own you know, command control center with Python? Things like that. So it's just... No, it's a short answer. <laughs> they can't do both because they're not two different people. Right. It's, it's yeah. No, that's that's good. That's good. I mean, my take on it is it's it's a lot like you're playing chess with yourself, in a way, right? You're making a move, and then you switch the board to the other side, and you make a counter move, and but you're not really gaining anything at that point because you subconsciously know what you want to do next. And you're going to pick what you want to be successful. That, that's true so. in in the context of you know playing against yourself. But a purple teamer in that you you're aware of the offensive and the defensive, and sort of if you're an incident response, you can then sort of figure out where they would go. I guess. No, I agree with you there <laughs> for sure. I think that's a, that's a good point, and uh, I think I'm going to get into that. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I've done sort of like running Bloodhound in the corporate environment. I'm not, and then seeing if it trips anything. It's not a live attack, like a red attack, but it's purple teamish as an individual, maybe? I'm not sure. No, oh, I, oh, for sure. And I think that that's that's good because you know the next question I wanted to ask you is why do you think there's an allure for people to think that they can just become this this one person army for becoming a singleton purple teamer? Ah, wow, what a question! <laughs> so initially, um, I guess it's because everyone wants to be good at everything, 
and we all love InfoSec. So Red Team has this very active, sexy feel of shooting exploits, lateral movement, stealing data, and outsmarting people. The sexy side of Blue Team, I guess, is the incident response, reversing malware, ripping code apart, and creating signatures. The boring parts of, say, Blue Team is like an audit or PCI compliance. The, I guess, maybe less exciting side of Red Team would be building attack trees. It's not as fun as the active. So the idea of purple teaming, I guess, to everyone implies that it's the only the fun side of red team and only the fun side of blue team. So a purple team is like, yeah, I can use Metasploit. I can build exploits and reverse engineer. And then I can also, you know, monitor the network and build some signatures to block attacks. So that's why it allures to everyone or is why people are like, yes, I want to be a purple teamer. Mm. Um, the other reason is my unpopular opinion because I have imposter syndrome is that honestly it might be because it's much easier to get good at blue team and be good at red team than it is to be an expert in either blue or red team skills. So as an example, I'm not an expert red teamer, nor am I an expert blue teamer, but using the word purple team gives me a bit of a marketing enhancement saying I'm good at both. Perhaps. No, no, I hear you. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I share that opinion, and I want to be, I want to be clear here. When we're saying that there's no such thing as an individual purple teamer, that doesn't mean that a person who does red team full time doesn't have any blue team mm. skills, and likewise, a blue teamer that's full time, you know doing those the firewall defenses monitoring the ids reversing malware you know doing incident response doing some digital forensics um that doesn't mean that they don't have any red team skills as well in fact i think you'll find i don't know if you'll agree with me on this one hayden but the best blue teamer has a good solid red team set of skills and likewise a good solid red teamer has some good understanding of blue team as well because you kind of need to know the other side to be really good at what you want to focus your energies on but just because you have that shared skill set doesn't necessarily fit the mold for what a purple team is at least not in the traditional sense for what what we're talking about no, I certainly agree there. You certainly need to know both sides of the coin to be able to flip it correctly. I don't know if that's an analogy, but I just used it really badly. Oh, no, we uh, it's, it's been spoken. It's been recorded. It is now fact. So. It's live out there. No, I was trying to think of an analogy like if, if you're in the military and you, you need to know what the enemy base it's the most basic example, like how thick their wall is and if your bullet will actually go through their fortified armor, things like that. You need to know the other side to know if what you're doing is actually effective or not. Right. And I just know all the military people that listen to this podcast are probably yelling at us. Right I now. know. I've never, I've never been in the military. I haven't been in any sort of law enforcement. I'm sorry, guys. I don't know. I know there is a phrase for this. Tweet it at me. Yeah. I'll apologize because, you know, I'm Canadian. That's what we yeah, do. Yeah, we always say sorry. Um, <laughs> the funny thing with that is that every amazing pen test or red tape I know, especially in Twitter and whatnot, 
is that um, they all have a military background or military communications background. Yeah. They have some amazing advantage over me in in that regard. (laughs) Or it's a 20 years dev experience. I'm not sure. But everyone that I know that's been to the movie has some red team mindset that blows me away. Yeah, that just means we just have to try try harder. (laughs) This podcast is not brought to you by offensive security. (laughs) Even though, you know, Hayden's got his OSCP. I'm studying for my OSCP. Um, But uh, c'est la vie, as we say. All right, getting back into it. So in your opinion, Hayden, what is what is a purple team? Not a purple teamer, but rather a purple team. What what does that what does that mean to you? What is what do you think it entitles? So when I was doing my talks on purple team and research and reading like cyber exercises, how to run them, what they involved, uh, the MITRE playbook, like the um, advanced techniques, offensive techniques, things like that, and defensive. My, th- I had to go back to like red team is the attacking side, right? They attack, they're a soldier, or whatever. The the defender is a person that is protecting the network, has a shield or something, and they're like the good guys or whatever. So a purple team is a team that has red team members and blue team members. And they're not just two separate teams. They're, they're the one team with a focus on making and in making the blue team better or improving the security posture of the organization. So that is a purple team. Does that make sense? Oh, it makes perfect sense to me. I'd ask the audience, but you know, they're just they're still yelling at the at the radio or at their their phone and saying, "You still don't know what the hell it's called." For uh, it's not opsec, but um, anyway. Oh, adversary simulation uh, or something. Uh, yeah. yeah, I give up. You know, <laughs> I, I, we're look, Canadians are peacekeepers, guys. I'm sorry. It's just it's just what we are. We're not. Uh, <laughs> We're not, we have warriors. We have some of the best snipers in the world. I know that, Uh, but that's about as, as far as, uh, yeah, I think a Canadian has the record for um, the, the longest uh, sniper shot, like three kilometers or something. Um, Anyway, I digress. (laughs) Uh, Moving on. The purple team uh, aspect can be one or two people can be as simple as that, where you have your, your attacker and defender working together for on something, say a corporate antivirus, and you want to see which payloads bypass, which payloads get caught, or even which type of files it triggers on. Or a purple team can be a fully fledged team that has like a five-man red team and a five-man blue team for a company that has their own SOC or the incident response team and then are working on, you know, as the blue team is skilling up, the red team has to skill up as well. And then they're suddenly defending with better techniques or better signatures. And the red team needs to attack with custom malware over a meterpreter session, things like that. 
Right. So going, going with that, let's, let's dive into that a bit more. So for a typical purple team engagement, you know, what, what do you think, or what would it look like? Would it literally be the red team? Okay, here, we're going to, we're going to start with a, a rather noisy end map scan, right? To see what yeah. the, and then the blue team has to react to it or. It's totally mm-hmm. contextual on the business or the the skill set and certificates that each team have. So yes, a typical purple team could look like just let's see what alerts trigger from Nmap, or like when I was at a banking at a Canadian bank for nine months or a year, I was a threat intel analyst and we had a red team slash purple team on us where they fished us. They then. Um, laterally moved to certain systems that got domain admin and they exfiltrated two gigabytes of data through an FTP server. So the purple team aspect of that was when they debriefed us on what they saw, we showed what we saw and how we reacted. And then we sort of worked together to fill in the gaps, whether that was within the process, such as I, the escalation procedures weren't correct or people or skill sets. And we have a tool gap here or something. So it's difficult engagement. It, you can think of it as a red team, but you're more focused on making the blue team better and improving the security posture of the organization instead of here's how we got in, here's how we got domain admin, here's some recommendations or vulnerabilities to patch, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's that's actually, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, so if a company wanted to engage uh, as a purple team, either because they have both red and blue teams on site, maybe they only have a blue team and they're, they're going to an external firm for a red team and they say, we want to do a purple team engagement. What are some of the pitfalls that the organization, especially if they've never done this type of purple team engagement before, what pitfalls would they, uh, should they be aware of? Uh, like any engagement or from my consulting years, it was more, they want a red team, but they, they then allow us to scope it as a vulnerability assessment. So the common pitfalls are actually understanding what they want. So the organization might want to purple team that's great but they do they really understand what outcomes they want do they want to test again their ips do they want to test people or technology or process Uh, then some of the pitfalls are having the right team members so you've got your blue team that's great but the red team do they have the skills that work with your objectives that you want out of the engagement also, from that perspective, is their red team communicative and willing to share some of their knowledge to help get the outcomes of the engagement? So it, it comes from all sides, just from definitely my consulting experience of one, uh, what do you want? Understanding that's really helpful. And then the, the end goals and then the time and process the time to allow it to run and the people to spend the time on the engagement. Another thing I find is that companies are super exciting to get something new done because it's great to kick off the engagement and it's human nature to be excited. But following up the lessons learned and improving, ensuring you improve following the engagement or having those improvements follow on into the next engagement. 
Right. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a really good point is, is don't make the same mistake twice sort of thing. Or, you know, what's the definition of insanity is doing the exact same thing and expecting. Yeah, a my reason result. is that like a red team or security, a red team, a pen test can be done for audit and PCI compliance. So it's a checkbox. The idea of a purple team engagement is to say, Hey, we realize security is important. It's not just the $100,000 blinky box we bought that has to last five years because of our budget. We understand security is something that's ongoing, that's holistic, that takes like the whole organization, the business context, the market there in the vertical, and saying we want to improve. We really want to understand our vulnerabilities or exposures. And then how can we use the red team to really help us, not just in attacking us, but helping improve the process and people and procedures we have. That was spoken. Just, that was beautiful, man. I got a, I got a tear in my eye on that I'm one. just very passionate in that security is not a checkbox. And the, the mindset or the idea of purple teaming is to go above and beyond that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely preaching to the choir on that one. It's, it's the common fallacy. Well, it's a it's a common fallacy. I mean, for those who who haven't experienced it yet, you'll run into uh, certain types of infosec professionals. Uh, usually, don't run a podcast who have a very strong opinion on if we're compliant, we're yep. secure. That's not true. Compliance does not equal security, and security does not equal compliance right? You can be much more secure, well beyond the requirements for a compliance audit. And you can be missing certain things that a compliance framework like PCI or ISO 27001 are going to be looking for that you're just not doing because I'm sorry, there's just some bloody paperwork that you have to do as part of those compliance frameworks that don't really offer you any sort of security value. They may offer you other value, but not something that's intrinsically uh, perceived by your InfoSec team as being secure. Mm. Right? So this is definitely something something to keep in mind. Yeah, I, so there we go. We've, we've digressed. The, we've we've digressed a little bit, but I think it's so important to emphasize because, especially in my new position here, a lot of like when I'm talking to developers, a lot of them push back and say, "Why do we have to do that?" Because it's security. Oh, yes. Because an attacker could do this or manipulate it that way. Encryption's a great example, but it's only internal. It does PCI say we have to do it? No, but like, come on. <laughs> so it's a it's a back and forth between what the organization wants and needs, how much you're willing to put into security, and just having a tick box so they're not legally obligated, or if an attack happens, they're not legally liable. So it's balancing the both. Yeah, exactly. And spoiler alert, we'll, we'll be having a guest in a 
couple of weeks um, where we're actually going to be talking about uh, application security and secure development and the exact question of how do you answer a developer who says, well, why do I have to do it this way is going to be one of the questions we're going to ask. So I'm not going to spoil who it is, uh, but we are going to have somebody on to talk exactly about that because I agree. I think this is something um, that in, in addition to you know, the purple teaming stuff, in addition to all the red team, all the blue team stuff, all the other things that we talk about on this podcast, I also want to make sure that we get a good wide breadth of experience and things that we should be aware of as InfoSec professionals, um, be it communication with executives, as we had a couple of weeks ago with uh, Tracy Mayleaf, or how to communicate with developers who let's be honest. And I can say this because I was a developer for a very long time, pig headed, you know, and just stubborn beyond belief because obviously they're the alphas and that's what they're used to, to doing the alpha nerds more than anything else. But anyway, uh, moving back on to, I, I just wanted to quickly say, I certainly agree with that because the inside of a company is so different from consulting and pen testing. And I am reading a book from O'Reilly Security called uh, Security for Agile Development or something like that. And it's going through that main thing as well. So all of it is very useful. Uh, excellent. But back to topic. So Sorry. When it comes back to thought, no, this is good because, you know, this is, here's the thing, right? We all know it. Security is a wide topic, and as much as we try to focus on one particular thing, we have so many sort of links to other topics within security that sometimes this just flows, yeah. right? And we just go and we explore it. But we'll 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 kind of circle back, and we'll go back into the purple team uh, engagement stuff. So one of the things I I was curious uh, for your thoughts on is how often do you think a purple team engagement should be done, right? Is this, you know, going back to the compliance thing, a lot of companies will be like, we're only going to do a pen test once a year mm. and that's it. Right. But obviously a purple team engagement's a little more involved and the findings may be a little more involved. And so, is this something you should only do once a year? Is this something you might want to do more often? Yes. What are, what are My your thoughts? thoughts are that a purple team engagement, because it's purple team and it's sort of more focused on contextually the business and what they want. As I said before, a purple team exercise can be just two people. So you have the, the very small exercises, which could be run once a week or once a month where you're like, hey, we've bought this new technology, let's test that it works or it's blocking the things we want it to be blocking, such as using, I'm going to do a plug of, Chris Gates has a, a tool that tests uh, Gmail from malicious files. It's called Malicious File Maker, and it will send a bunch of emails with some different files that are set off the uh, filter, and you can see what gets through. So you can just do do it that simply. We did it here as well. Didn't take long. Took to, took a day. Worked with an IT help desk mate of mine, and we didn't need approvals. We just created a, a corporate email that was no one uses and tested that. Uh, so you can do that monthly, daily, weekly, whatever suits you. Or there's the bigger engagements, which are run like a red team, which do 
need a lot of planning. They're quite considerate. You need all the different planning exercises from brainstorming, building it out, making sure you have the right approvals, maybe some budget. Maybe some people need to get skilled in a certain area to make the most of the purple team exercise. And then you execute the exercise, which could take up to a month. Uh, and then you have your lessons learned and improvements that will be, will be made. And you have like your different teams as well in a typical cyber exercise. So in a long answer, I would say once a year, only because I used to would think it would be run every three months or quarterly as a pen tester or a consultant. But understanding now from the inside of an organization of the different politics, how everyone is busy, the C-levels just have focus on their day-to-day jobs, you have fires to fight as a security analyst or manager or incident responder. So companies internally work really slow. So I would say if you were going to have a decent lessons learned, which helps you build a roadmap, probably once a year. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. And I'll tell you why. Because your, your statement there is one that I think a lot of people miss is especially if you're if you're a red teamer your view of the world is generally like look you guys are like swiss cheese you have a lot of holes in your environment and you plow through and you're like this is ridiculous you'll be owned at any moment but as a blue teamer you tend to have that same feeling but then you get hit with the politics within the organization and you have to realize that you don't live in a micro microcosm of security and that sadly as much as we want it to be true the company really doesn't revolve no, around us as uh, in as infosec professionals god i wish it, they would because it would make our lives a lot easier and obviously everything would be super safe and secure of course no one would be able to browse facebook and then morale goes down everyone would just be like you know it'd be like an old russian <laughs> propaganda film that the uh, that the americans would put on in the 60s to show the uh, the evils of the soviet union um but anyway and businesses are in business to make money security and time and effort costs money unless you, unless you're a consulting firm selling some blinky box or services you make money you make a lot by the hour but generally in the real world we cost money so getting approvals getting them to understand the value of or you might end up on the headlines and we need to do something about it is also another issue but for purple teaming i really think the the nature of building relationships and the benefiting the organization and skills and really showing value that way, a good one probably once a year. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's that's definitely a lofty goal, especially considering the amount of time that's going to be in, involved with doing a proper purple, purple team engagement and having that communication. I mean, you're not going to be done in three days, potentially, depending how deep you want to go. Um, so that's that's great. Okay, so let's switch over to the two sides of the purple team coin, if you will. So when we talk about the the goals for the blue team in a purple team engagement, the, the defenders, would you consider detection 
or disruption or pre- slash prevention to be a better goal for uh, the the blue team? That's a really good question. It happens a lot with if you can use a honeypot and slow them down, that's great. But if you can detect them, why not just kick them out and block them, like prevent them? So it reminds me of a Chris Nickerson talk at uh, Hackfest in two years ago, so 2016, that I attended on adversarial simulation. And he brought up the Lockheed Martin cyber kill chain, which I'm actually a, a fan of. But the amazing thing he brought up was this Chevron graph of in each stage you can deny, disrupt, I think degrade, deceive, and destroy and all these steps within the kill chain where you can do these. And Chris's point is these marketing people, uh, what what do they want? Because if I can detect them, why don't I just deny them off the bat? Why do I need to disrupt them and trick them and throw them puzzles to jump through hoops or degrade them? What does, what does that even mean? He, he does a funny joke of uh, insulting them or deceiving them, dressing up as a clown or something. It's, it's quite, quite a good talk. But the idea is that if we can deny it or we can identify it, well, why can't we just prevent it? And, and in that sense, I would say that I would consider detection – much better or a better goal in the long run for blue teams because once you've detected it, you can then and only then work on disrupting or preventing an attacker. Mm. Oh, that's a good one. That's a, that's a, yeah. some sound <laughs> reasoning, sir. Because I had All this right, discussion, so- sorry, sorry, I had this discussion with uh, a friend of mine or some Twitter people's in their DMs, and I was asking because I was thinking about segmentation and better network monitoring currently where I am, and I was like, hey, guys, what do you think is more important? And prevention is great. Like, if it's segmented really well, that's great. But mm-hmm. if they, and they will, figure a way around the segmentation, but you have no detection, you're screwed. You have no idea what's going in the network. So the detection allows you, even if you don't have anything else, to know what's there and then build something, a plan of action on what you know is there, I think is the way to put it. No, that's, that's yeah, that's really good. That's a really, really good point because you're right. You can't, you can't protect what you don't know you have, right? It goes back to the CIS top 20, right? You have to have a software inventory. You have to have a hardware inventory. You have to know what you have and you have to, that's the first step. And then the next thing is being able to see what. That's part of the CIS top five controls actually, which I've looked into for here and it stops the top 80% of attacks or something. But it goes back to, I think the basic IT principles of a software inventory, a hardware inventory, uh, understanding which users and groups you have and what, they can actually do and then regularly scanning for vulnerabilities in the environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Love the CIS top 20, the, for, yeah, the former SANS top 20. All right. So flipping to the other side of the purple team coin there, what about the red team uh, in the engagement? Should they be focusing on stealth speed or hmm. something else? So based on the fact that the purple team is focused on helping the blue team out 
get, helping them get better at increasing the security posture of the organization, it's definitely relative to uh, the business and its context and the way they've built the exercise. So if during the exercise, the goal of the red team is to get active directory credentials at domain admin, then that that's what their goal should be. So, it's, or if it's to exfiltrate data stealthily without being detected, that's their goal. So it's definitely based on the exercise for the red team. But in saying that, if the red team never gets better, the blue team is just going to know their playbook and block them every time. So it's a bit like uh, table tennis, where each person needs to get better to increase everyone's skills so another example is if the business is very new and has never run this maybe the red team should just try some nmap scanning to trigger alerts maybe that should be their goal if they're more advanced and they have an ir team maybe the mental blanking now maybe the red team should drop some custom malware to be stealthy, to not trick, to force the blue teamers to have to up their game and look through PCAPs or have some new regex or Yarrow rules they have to create. So the red team's goals should be benefiting the blue team. It shouldn't be focused on whether they should be stealthy or speedy. It's what their goal should be, what's the best way for me to help the blue team be better in whatever specific area they're aiming for. That's that's a really good point. Again, you're just full of little good points today, <laughs> well, aren't I you? I have written a few so. articles and I try to <laughs> think of purple teaming as holistically focused on the blue team. And instead of just buying that blinky box, it's about what can we do contextually for the business or the team or it's so situational. That's the thing. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm never going to get a Blinky Box no. sponsor after this episode, but that's only because I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly. I think that that uh between the the two teams, I think the blue team tends to have a harder time of it. And I think the the notion I think you're right. The notion of a purple team engagement is more for the benefit of the organization and the blue team so that they can do better to protect the organization at the end of the day. Because as we just discussed, the business is there to make money and security threats that come in have the potential to disrupt that flow of money into the company. And if that happens, well, everyone's going to be sad because they're not going to get paid that week. (laughs) There is a few talks on uh, Microsoft and it's called the attacker's playground and it's designing your environment. Uh, It's your it's your you have the home base advantages advantage and should design it in a way that should make it harder for the attacker. All right. One last question. In your opinion, do you think that purple teams and purple team engagements are worth it for an organization? Yes, they're definitely worth it. And through our whole talk, I hopefully have shown why <laughs> they are, but in simple, they're worth it because the focus is on the blue team's weakness. So instead of receiving a report on patch updates, which are once off, which I admittedly as a pen tester have done, here's some patches you should update. They're a once off. They're a report on here's your current state and 
here's some recommendations to fix it. Whereas with purple teaming, the learning is through the exercise, not just in the end report. So hopefully through the exercise, you've tuned some rules or your blue teamer has learned some new ways to use a tool to detect malware or maybe improved their threat hunting team to say, hey, have you thought about looking in this part of your network? or device guard bypasses, things like that. So yes, purple teams are most definitely worth worth it as well. Excellent. All right. So if people wanted to reach out to you, Hayden, and continue the conversation, uh, what would be, what are those various ways that people can get finished already, huh? My goodness. (laughs) I didn't realize I had this much knowledge. (laughs) Uh, You certainly can reach out to me via Twitter. My DMs are open. Uh, For that, you'll need my Twitter. It's just, it's really cool name. It's just at Hayden Johnson. It's my first and last name together. I was new to Twitter and was like, that'll do. I didn't realize hackers had cool names like OXA and 4141 like that. But you can reach out to me on Twitter at Hayden Johnson. I do have a LinkedIn you should be able to find really easily. So those are probably the two best options. Perfect. Yeah, we'll have links to your to your, at least your Twitter in the show notes as well. Uh, I tend to leave people alone on LinkedIn because you know recruiters are you know, vicious <laughs> enough as it is. They don't need to start screen scraping my website for when for I got my new job. That way. Many people assumed I had buying power, which I sort of do. I'm not going to say on here that I don't or, or do because I don't want more people coming across. But I got inundated with try this vendor, try that vendor, try this tool. Hey, new position, can we help you? And I got inundated crazy on LinkedIn. It's just Facebook for uh, advert or oh, recruiters. It's it's amazing. It is absolutely amazing, especially when you move into that new role. I I, I know it well. Uh, perfect. Now, as for myself, uh, for people that want to reach out to me, uh, you guys can find me on Twitter as well. I'm at John's Not Here, which is just slightly more elite than at Hayden Johnson. Uh, the podcast has its own Twitter handle as well, which is at Purple Squad Sec, where we basically post updates for uh, shows and uh, episodes and the like. If you want to get further detail, like show notes and whatnot, you can go to the podcast website, which is purplesquadsec.com. And in addition to the show notes, you can find links to all the different places to find the podcast, like iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. We have a resources section as well for various uh, red and blue team uh, tools and uh, a few other goodies in there. So if you guys are interested, go ahead and take a look at that. We also have a Slack community. So for those who are interested in Slack, you know, come on over to the to the website. We have an invite link over on the right hand side. Uh, just need an email to sign up and uh, join in the fun. If you are listening on iTunes, uh, please do leave us a five star review. So it helps bump us up through the ranks and get more people to listen to quality interviews like the one we've just had here with Hayden. So with that, Hayden, thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Uh, this has been an incredibly enlightening discussion. Hopefully uh, uh, 
you know, <laughs> hopefully you enjoyed yourself. I certainly did. I certainly did enjoy so. myself. We can disagree. To, we can agree to disagree on whether purple teaming is a myth or not. <laughs> but it's certainly an honor to be invited and a lot of fun to chat about it. So thank you very much. Oh, my pleasure. And purple teams exist. Purple teamers, the individual, does not. <laughs> that's that's my stance, and I, I stand on sticking sticking by it. Uh, anyway, with that, uh, as for all the listeners, thank you all for tuning in. And as always, I will talk with you all again next time.